Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the Ball Five podcast, the baseball podcast that, in the time during the off season while there's no baseball, is starting to try to find other things to get interested in, and trying to get into TV. You know, I, I I don't have a great attention span. I do this thing where I watch three episodes of something and then just never watch it again. Uh, so I'm trying to fight through that. Lately, I've been trying to watch The Boys, and then most recently, uh, The Last of Us show. Uh, Chris, I know you watched that too. Uh, oh, some yeah. early thoughts as two uh, super fans of the first game, first and second game. Uh, what were your thoughts on the first episode? Yeah, I think just to echo kind of what most people have said, you know, it's it's a scary thing initially to um, see a video game adaptation is coming. You know, it's exciting, but at the same time, you've seen pretty much every single video game adaptation suck. Um, but you know, kind of first thoughts, keeping it spoiler free and everything. It was really good. It was pretty true to the story. And the only thing that they kind of really strayed from the story were to enhance the story for the TV medium um, instead of, you know, just slogging through gameplay of where exposition and stuff like that. So um, they did a really good job of making it good. I think the biggest tell for me was that, you know, when you're watching some of the scenes, um, I still had that tension, even though I knew even up to this date in Last of Us 2 what happens, you know, so it's like I know this whole story and I still had tense knowing what was about to happen, you know, so. Yeah, I I do think it was upsetting to me not seeing a couple scenes of Joel having to pick up a, a large wooden plank and then having to carry it over to a spot where they have to go over a chasm and then he also has to get a ladder and climb up something uh, anywho i i did also think that it was very good i thought that uh you know we are kind of starting to come out of the dark ages of video game adaptations and we are starting to get some really good ones i don't know anything about league of legends but from all i've heard that arcane show is pretty good and then i'm a huge sucker for the sonic movie i haven't seen the second one but the first one i think is really well done and really cool um but yeah i thought that it was good i thought that um the the hbo budget and that hbo kind of seal of quality was was really evident there and it it kind of really helped to to take this show to the next level i think that it was done really well and it it looks beautiful and all that stuff and i think that the performances are good the one thing that i don't like about it as a huge fan of the games and a someone who recognizes how important they were to me is that i kind of feel like it's taken the discourse around the game and turned it into this whole thing where so many people are saying like you know this is the greatest story ever told or like this is the greatest thing ever and it's it's almost like a, a level of hyperbole that even as someone who has this as one of his favorite games of all time is like you're making a lot of us look bad here to the <laughs> to like the regular tv watches and everything i don't know it was just like uh, the show creator craig mazin all the stuff he says about it and like it, it sounds like he's only ever played like pac-man and this so this is like the greatest thing he's ever witnessed but i don't know uh, enough about tv as uh even though we could probably go on dj and chris ebert over here uh we will move on but uh so there isn't a ton going on in the baseball world obviously uh, nothing really in the trade market actually one trade that we're going to get to later but you know nothing super major all the big free agents have gone but um, there is still some things to cover. But first, uh, we did actually have a super cool announcement uh, of something that happened this week. So, Chris, you were kind of the leader on this. So take it away. 
Yeah, so um, anyone that knows uh, that's privy to the fantasy baseball community um, obviously knows Fangraphs exists. Um, and one of the writers of Fangraphs, Justin Mason, uh, particularly the um, Rotograph side uh, for fantasy baseball, um, invited me on to his podcast, Friends with Fantasy Benefits, um, in order to uh, do the Mets preview um, for fantasy baseball. Um, so I was on that podcast. You can find it on pretty much anywhere where you find podcasts if you just search for Friends with Fantasy Benefits. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can search Justin Mason, ooh, Justin Mason, FWFB, uh, not Justin Mason. Um, if you search Justin Mason, oh my God, <laughs> keep all really doing them a disservice. Keep all this in. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing such a disservice. Um, if you search Justin Mason, FWFB on YouTube, um, you'll find that episode and all the other episodes. And if you'd rather watch, uh, listen to it on a podcast medium, um, you can, like I said, go through uh, Spotify or Apple um, that way. And also um, shoot him a follow on Twitter. It's Justin Mason FWFB um, or his partner Dave that run DMCD there. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Talked a lot about the Mets um, and it was really nice. I I um, would love to say that my first in- entry into uh, the baseball scene of podcasting um, was not me cursing uh, Carlos Correa, but I think I did do that. Um, so sorry, but we'll try it. We we'll, we'll try not to redo that on this episode. Um, but yeah, I, I echo all of the statements that you just said. Uh, big thank you to Justin Mason and Dave and all the folks over there at, uh, you know, fantasy friends with benefits podcast. Uh, you know, it's, it's super big for, for, you know, us who we only have like seven followers on Twitter and, you know, obviously getting going when you don't really have too much of an internet uh, presence to speak of to begin with is not easy as a, as somebody that's trying to get into podcasting. So that kind of opportunity, and I know that he's been doing that with a lot of other really smaller creators in this, um, you know, team preview, you know, kind of segment. So I think that that's obviously super duper cool. Um, if anybody else wants us to be on their podcast, uh, we will do literally any, I'll do like a, I'll do like a football podcast. I don't watch football. I'll do a football. Just let me talk about stuff to be honest. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take anything, but, uh, enough on that. Like I said, I will link all of those, all of those links in the description, the Spotify, Apple, YouTube link. I'll link all that in the description. So if you have a chance to listen to us and you want to hear more of Chris on there, um, as well as Dave and Justin, I will link all of that in the description so you can find it. But um, yeah, I think that does it with all of our kind of preamble. We're going to start getting into the show, which you mentioned Carlos Correa. And that is a good segue to one of the two major stories that we're going to cover. There's some smaller stuff, you know, smaller uh, free agency deals that we might touch on at the end. But I don't I don't really want to talk about it, especially after we did our whole like non-tender episode talking about like nothing burger deals. But uh, Carlos Correa. After his just hallowed, storied career of three weeks with the New York Metropolitans, has decided to, uh, you know, they dropped their negotiations with the Mets, opened up, opened it back up again, and has now re-signed with the Minnesota Twins for a six-year deal, totaling $200 million in those six years, and I believe that there are also options in 2029 through 2032, so anywhere from a six to... God, why did I have to put the math on there? I think it's 10-year. 
nine ten year deal uh, for Correa. After it was initially thirteen for three forty five, then it was twelve for three fifteen, and now it's anywhere from six to nine or ten years for I think it's two hundred to like two hundred seventy five million dollars. Um, there are some uh, a couple tidbits from Scott Boris um, talking about the negotiations with the Mets, and you know obviously. I don't think that we've heard much from the Mets side, so all we really have to go on right now is Boris, which, at the end of the day, is an agent, you know, is going to do right by his clients. Uh, But the main quote that kind of stood out to me was, I don't understand the Mets, Boris said. I gave them all the information we had to talk to. We had them talk to four doctors. They knew the issue the Giants had, and yet they still called the same doctor the Giants used for his opinion. There was no new information, so why negotiate a contract if they were going to rely on the same doctor? Now, I do... I both get and have qualms with where he's coming from. I get where he's coming from in the sense that if you knew you were going to talk to the Giants doctor after all, and after all of this information, then yeah, if you had the same concerns and you were going to rely on the same doctor that had the same concerns, it does kind of feel like a going in it in bad faith, trying to negotiate the deal. But also, like, I feel like that's just kind of doing your due diligence if you're going to look and say, like, hey, he failed a physical with this team and their doctor. We should try to reach out to that doctor to see what he saw and see if anything lines up with what we have. So, I don't know. It's it's one thing where I don't want to sound like I'm carrying water for the Mets organization. I know we're both big fans, but I don't, I, you know, more than willing to be critical of the Mets. And I kind of think that they had an opportunity here to really turn this team into a, uh, a World Series contender. And, you know, in all essence, uh, you know, in all intents and purposes, kind of, you know, you know, watch that go away. So, you know, I don't want, like I said, I don't want to sound like I'm carrying too much water for the giant, for the uh, Mets, but I don't know. Like I said, I can kind of see both sides here, but also like, I think it's just part of the due diligence to want to reach out to the doctor that failed the first physical. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like it's like, if you think about, you know, um, if you get, if someone gets fired from a job and you're interviewing them, you, you're going to want to potentially learn about what that. Uh, situation happened at the other place if anything um to have your own eyes on it you know um so maybe not to automatically say yeah you know i'm gonna trust what this guy says um but to just kind of hear it and and take everything with a grain of salt you know i think like you said it's the due diligence of it all you know um like and also like you said i think like scott boris has to uh, stick on Correa's side, but it's very odd to me that they wouldn't understand that the Mets would want to talk to someone who basically said, yeah, his ankle's fucked, you know? Um, I don't see why why it would be a big deal. Now, what I think the big deal is, is if it is true, now granted it's only a rumor or anything like that, but if the Mets offer to him for the restructure um, is true, which it was what, like, they cut it down to like six one seventy five or something like that. I could even be wrong on that. Yeah, um, I believe it was um, also in the same article. Which once again, I'll, I'll link in the description. It's from the New York Post. Uh, I believe it was six years, one hundred fifty seven million with options and injury protections. Um, I believe similar to what Boris negotiated. It was a while back when uh, Pudge Rodriguez signed with the Tigers, and they had issues with the medicals. They signed like a. Uh, an opt-out clause, essentially, where if they didn't play a certain amount of games, they got to kind of, you know, go back on the contract. So I think it was one of those with a lot of options, a lot of, you know, games played requirements and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I just, I just, I think I that's where I find on the Mets part a little bit concerning. Where you know, I think that if you were willing initially to toss all this money, um, I feel like you could have, you could have, uh, come, come cleaner there. But I don't know, you know, I, I overall, like, like you said, don't want to carry too much water. But I think that I actually side with the Mets on this one. Now, granted, I wanted. Carlos Correa and I want him and I think the Mets are a much better team with him um you know but uh alas we don't have him so now I have to uh be upset yeah I've been I've been very open on the fact that I kind of don't I kind of didn't really care about the medicals I I knew what you were going in for when you signed him even if you signed him to a 12-year deal you were going into it looking for those first five or six years that you already you know evidently by your offer were pretty comfortable giving him so I I kind of thought that it was just it should have been something that's, you know, was seen for we're going to give you this to please you. But also we know what we're getting out of the first half of this deal and that's what we really want. But um, like you just mentioned, this we're going to get into it first on what this means for the Mets, of course, being a more, uh, you know, kind of a Mets focused podcast. But um, the big thing is that there really aren't any options if they wanted to try to find a stopgap. Uh, if they really wanted to move on from this platoon, probably, of Eduardo Escobar and Brett Beatty. Um, you know, I thought that maybe if this deal went through, I mean, if this deal fell through and the Red Sox and Raphael Devers were still at an impasse and they were perhaps looking to trade, I thought that they were going to kind of try to immediately hop on that as their other option, which, you know, I, I would have loved. But I think that that uh, Devers extension went through while they were still trying to negotiate with Correa. And then the next best thing right now is Manny Machado, but that's contingent on him opting out, which he probably will after some of the deals that have uh, gone through. For people like Devers, as mentioned, um, he will probably opt out of his deal and become a free agent next year. So even then, you'd still have to make it through this year um, in order to go after him. So at least at the very least for this year. They will rely probably, like I said before, on a platoon of Eduardo Escobar and Brett Beatty. Now, if Eduardo Escobar can be anything like he was, even 75% of what he was in September and October, I think that this will end up being fine for the Mets. But also, uh, we know that's hardly a guarantee for the first couple months of the season. He was very streaky. And in that middle time, just really a tough watch. Uh, the at-bats just weren't great. The contact results weren't great. And, uh... You know, that kind of led to Brett Beatty getting called up and getting some time. And while he didn't do incredible, you know, he only hit 184, uh, had an OPS plus, had a WRC plus rather, sorry, of 71. But, you know, I, I don't think that his at-bats look terrible. And I think that there's something to build on there where he could end up getting the, the bulk of these at-bats if he breaks camp with the team. Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really where it kind of goes down to. It's definitely something to... Um, be mindful of you know I think it's really hard um, because Escobar you know wanting to rely on that last month or a month and a half of the season is really difficult because he was like ungodly then I think he hit like eight to ten of home runs (laughs) like in that month you know Um, so it was it was really really nuts I remember looking at the splits and like all of his counting stats came from that last month, basically. Um, you know, so it, obviously that's pretty unsustainable. But also, Escobar has been a pretty serviceable player his career. 
Um, and something that was very interesting to me when I did the Friends with Fantasy Benefits podcast um, was that it was brought up that Eduardo Escobar uh, was one of the main Mets that were affected by the shift uh, negatively. So it could be interesting. Maybe um, Escobar will uh, fare a little bit better um, next year. You know, um, I still think it's kind of scary. I think Beatty, the thing that Beatty does that is going to play out for him in the future is that he hits the ball really hard. But I think what you're going into now, and this is the same thing with Alvarez, it's the same thing with even Vientos and all those guys, is that, you know, can you afford to keep them at the major league level and give them less at-bats? Um, or do you have to keep them in AAA in order to keep maintain their at-bats and maintain their playing time um, at these positions? You know, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing. Um, just real quick on this, la- lastly, too, uh, what I did find interesting kind of about the Mets' effort into this is that very recently, I think I read it today, um, was that Beatty was willing to play left field if Correa was signed to the Mets. Um, so that kind of goes be. to show, well, I know, but <laughs> that that goes to show that like that's what, you know, um, the Mets want to keep his bat in there, you know, um, the Mets want to have him uh, have him get those reps and do that. You know, that wasn't a quote from Mark Vientos that he was going to play left field, although I still don't think he owns a baseball glove. So um, I don't know. But that's all I'm trying to say is that I think that Beatty's in their plans and that they're going to want to have him out there. He can hit, you know, like you said, he he didn't do super hot last year, but that's limited at bats. And he also was hurt, too, for a little bit, too. So maybe there's that. But um, but yeah, he hits the ball hard and I think it's going to play in the future. Yeah. And I think the big thing that benefits Brett Beatty in a way that doesn't benefit um, Mark Vientos and and Francisco Alvarez is that while Alvarez plays a premium position at catcher, that they will probably be looking to get reps into him. And while uh, they do have this kind of hole at, you know, weak side platoon DH, which uh, Mark Vientos could look into, the thing that really benefits Barbady is that he is a lefty, which we know that Buck Showalter loves his platoons. He relied on it a lot um, in fourth outfielder type spots in, um, in the DH, as we just mentioned. He loves his he loves his platoon, so if he were to go by platoons, and that really helps him with, with Escobar as well, because Escobar is 681 OPS versus righties, 817 versus lefties, and then Beatty being a lefty would get the, the bulk of those at bat. So that really benefits him in a way that doesn't benefit Alvarez and Vientos as far as the two the three prospects. So I think that there's a real chance that he could break camp with the team and break camp as the guy getting the lion's share of at-bats. But once again, as we mentioned, it's not Carlos Correa. And I think that that really kind of puts, I won't say it puts a ceiling on this team. Like, I don't think that with or without, I think, I don't think that without Carlos Correa, they're, uh, you know, a second or third wildcard team that's going to be lucky to get into the playoffs. They're still a pretty solid offense that's going to have good pitching and that's going to have a real chance to contend and go far, but they went from fringe, con- they went from real contenders, one of the three or four teams that can absolutely win a World Series this year with Correa, to kind of a fringe contender, one of those guys that you may look towards on a second tier of teams looking to win the World Series, which 
you know, isn't a terrible place to be with how, with where you were in the last six years, but especially if you're going to, you know, be committing to these high payrolls to want to show that effort to the, to the fans that you're going to field a really competitive team, you want that ability to say that with a payroll like that, you're going to be in that top tier of contenders. Exactly. That's, that's the hardest part with us. So we'll see. Hopefully it, uh, it pans out well, but, um, you know, I, I we did a lot of time there on the team that didn't get the player without really mentioning a ton of the team that did get the player, which is the Minnesota Twins, which, um, you know, I think is tremendous for them. They really did not, were not having a great offseason heading into this. You know, they they signed Kyle Farmer, who is probably going to be the shortstop if Carlos Correa didn't actually sign through, which is not pretty. And then they gave a, a prove-it deal to Joey Gallo as, like, a reclamation project. But other than that, there's not really much on the offensive end. So they kind of needed to bring back Carlos Correa. And like I said, I've said this before on a previous podcast, I believe the, the last one we did, that I kind of felt like if it fell through with the Mets, it was either going to be the Mets or the Twins because the Mets have already seen the medic. I mean, sorry, the Twins have already seen the medicals. They are clearly fine with it, given that they signed him before, and given that they offered him a 10-year deal when, you know, the open market was happening. So I kind of felt like there was not going to be a third or fourth team coming into the mix. It was either going to be the Mets or the Twins, and it ended up being the Twins. And, you know, it, it felt, the offseason felt confusing for them, given that they are in a division where it really does not seem like any team is trying to win. You know, the Guardians were pretty good last year, but you know, aside from adding Josh Bell, didn't really do too, too much uh, on their end. And then the the White Sox aren't trying to spend money. The the Royals sound, signed out Roldis Chavin, which, ugh. Uh, and then I can't even remember the other team in the NL Central right now. Uh, this is a really bad look, but I'm freezing right now, so I'm going to completely move by it. Um, but yeah, so the Twins really had a shot to to kind of make them uh, one of the people at the top of that division, but, you know, it doesn't make them better than they were last year, because obviously it's just a re-sign, but it does stop them from being markedly worse uh, this year, and having that huge hole in the lineup that was left by missing out on a guy like Carlos Correa. Yeah, 100%, you know, I mean, I think the Twins are going to be a relatively interesting team next year, you know, um, with, with, Correa now all of a sudden that really shores up the top of your lineup especially with the um I hate to say this the inevitable Byron Buxton injury um you know so so it kind of shores up that top of the lineup and then um it allows you to not lean on the young guys as much as you were going to if you didn't get Correa you know um they were already they're already leaning on Jose Miranda and Alex Kirilov um, in order to give them a lot of at bats, obviously, um, considering they're going to be starting starters next year, you know, um, so it, it, it's definitely something that is really interesting to kind of keep your eye on. Um, but now all of a sudden with Correa, like you said, you're not better than you were last year because you're basically the same team. Um, but now you have uh, a lot of homegrown talent, even Nick Gordon's there too. So, um, homegrown talent that you have to kind of rely on and it could be fun you know I, I kind of like it but I forgot to mention that they also signed Christian Vasquez who I think is a overall pretty solid catcher yeah. and then 
Um, at the Tigers. That's the that's the team I missed out. But I mean, they're not really going to be going for that AL Central anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But it did remind me that they did trade uh, Gregory Soto for Matt Vierling, Nick Maton, and somebody else from the Phillies. Which interesting move. Don't need to say much more about it. That just popped up into my head because I was trying to think real quick of the AL Central team that I missed. But um, another thing that I will always choose to mention when I see Jose Miranda, who was pretty solid last year uh, for not like a super top tier prospect, but a pretty good guy who came in and and really kind of helped them out and is probably going to be a big part of next year's team. I always uh, remind like to remind people that uh, his uncle is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And this is not a joke. He is actually related to Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame. So, uh, yeah, do with that information what you will. I was going to think of a ham. I was, yeah. (laughs) I was going to think of a Hamilton pun, but I didn't want to oust myself as somebody that's listened to Hamilton. Um, But I guess cat's out of the bag there. But um, I guess we're going to stay on the twins now because they did the other thing in uh, baseball news recently, and that was trading for Pablo Lopez of the Miami Marlins. Uh, The full trade was Pablo Lopez, an infield prospect, uh, Jose Salas, an outfield prospect, Byron Churio. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's cool that the Twins got another uh, outfielder named Byron, though. Um, But they're all going to the Twins, and they, uh, the Twins gave up to the Miami Marlins, Luis Arias, who's just coming off of a batting title. I think it's just kind of an eh trade for for either side. Uh, The Twins, I think, are coming away better in this trade just because they traded for a position of need. The starting rotation is one of those that it's like, if everybody performs to the expectations, it's not bad. Uh, You know, Joe Ryan has been solid ever since he came up, I believe, in 2021. Sonny Gray is just relatively consistent, solid pitcher. He has been for a couple years now, at least since he left the Yankees. And then Bailey Ober was once again pretty solid in 11 starts, 120 ERA+. plus. Tyler Malley struggled, but he has had that, you know, somewhat pedigree of being a pretty solid starter. And then they get to add Pablo Lopez, who was really good in the first half of the year, really kind of tapered off in the second half. But I think the one thing is that you look at the rotation in Minnesota and you see a lot of guys that, like, this would be a really good, like, three-starter on a playoff team. Or best-case scenario, like, this is a really good, like, two-starter on a playoff team. You don't really see an ace uh, on this roster. Also, uh, forgot to mention Kenta Maeda and Chris Paddock, neither of whom pitched, but also neither of whom probably project out to be that ace uh, for the Twins. So I think it was good that they traded for a position of uh, that really needed some sort of middle-to-top-end level talent. But it is one of those things where if you're trading with Miami for a starter, you almost kind of wish that you could get somebody with just a little bit more upside than Pablo Lopez. But you're not going to complain about getting Pablo Lopez because he's a perfectly fine, two pretty good starting pitcher. Yeah, I didn't even realize, too, that Pablo Lopez is actually kind of young. He's 27, you know, um, so it, it to me, it's just kind of a wild trade, you know. Um, I'm actually surprised that the Marlins were the team that had to kind of pony up on that one. I almost felt that this could have been a straight up trade, you know? Um, yeah. 
I, maybe I'm lo- maybe I'm lower on Luis Arias than most. I love Luis Arias. He's like a, a contact king. Is a player you don't see very often anymore. But maybe I'm I'm lower in that I didn't think that he needed to be like a middle to top end rotation starter plus the fifth prospect in the Marlins system plus another guy. No, I I kind of agree. That's what that's what I'm saying is like I almost think that you could have just done this Arias for Lopez straight up especially because both teams needed to make the move, you know. Um, the, the Twins want to get at-bats for, uh, for Kirillov out there, uh, as we were just talking about. Um, and the Marlins uh, have, I mean, looking at the Marlins rotation, even right now, you have Sandy Alcantara, Johnny Cueto, Jesus Luzardo, Edward Cabrera, and Trevor Rogers um, projected there. So that that's a obviously a really good starting rotation um in its own right so it's one of those things where you know the marlins had to trade pablo lopez and um the twins pretty much had to trade luis arias so um it just feels weird that this was the the trade that happened especially the marlins because now i still think the funniest thing is now jazz chisholm's playing center field you know, um, yeah. I, I don't really know where this comes from. Uh, and even Jazz himself said that he's going to go out and win a win a gold glove for everyone. So uh, I feel like every single that's kind of your um your I'm in the best shape of my career uh, uh, kind of moment there. So I don't know. I don't I don't really see it. Um, but hey, good for him. If he, he's fast. So as long as he's got the hand eye coordination for it, he can do it. But. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to get into when talking about Miami's side on this. It's like, I get why Miami did this. They did have to trade a starter. You know, they going into what they had, and you mentioned that projected rotation. It didn't even mention, mention prospects like Max Meyer, who are very, very good in their own right. And they do have other prospects down the line who are these really good pitchers like Yuri Perez and people like that. So they needed to kind of start offloading some of it at the top end if they were going to let all of these other guys develop in some way, uh, form, or fashion. Now, it, did they have to trade for another second baseman? Their third second baseman on the roster already with Gene Segura, Jazz Chisholm, and now Luis Arias? I'm not sure that they had to do that. Um, and, you know, they, they are more than capable of moving around. Gene Segura did play shortstop when he was with Miami. Uh, not Miami, sorry. Uh, when he was with Seattle, the last season I saw, he played shortstop for a bulk of it, had a negative seven outs above average, but single season metrics on stuff like outs above average is not always the greatest form because he was in the positives uh, at shortstop the two years beforehand. But, you know, that was also, I'm trying to think of when, uh, was it 2018 or 2019, the last time that he played before he went to the Phillies, I believe it was 2018. Um, so, you know, that's five years ago since he's played shortstop. So, you know, you think that he still has it, but it's not an unknown. I mean, it's more of an unknown rather. Jazz Chisholm has only ever played second or shortstop, I believe in pro ball. Um, and then when he's played shortstop, he hasn't looked good when he's played second. He's looked pretty good. And and the the stats kind of great amount as pretty solid in the field. But I mean, I think that I saw a quote that like he does what we we've seen him do well with pop ups and sure. <laughs> Sorry, that's like, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like sure, 
I've seen people catch. That doesn't mean they're catchers. Yeah. I, but I, God, yeah. I, I don't. And, you know, the thing with Jazz is that he is one of these super high confidence guys. A lot of swagger, you know, just really all around. Seems like a cool guy to be around. I'd love to be. I'd love to hang out with him. And with that level of confidence, I'm sure that he can figure out something there. But it just feels like a really tough transition to have a guy that young do. He is super, super talented athlete. He's really fast, you know, can can get good reads on the ball, as we've seen with his pop-up fielding. Um, but yeah, so I just don't know. And, and when you're Miami, you feel like you can kind of be at a position where you can throw stuff at a wall and see if it sticks because you're not really going anywhere. But I, I don't know. I just really don't. I'm struggling to see the vision there. Um, and then just with Arias in general, like I said, I love Arias, but he's does not have any pop in that bat. You know, he he's slugged in his time 439, 402, 376 and 420. It's not like it's not like terrible, but it's not great. You know, he, he does not hit the ball for for too much pop, does not hit a lot of homers, more of like a double kind of power guy. But with Miami, they that's not what they need. They need power bats. And that's what they showed when they tried to get Avisayal Garcia and Jorge Soler, that they needed power bats. And then neither of those really panned out. So they're, you know, kind of drawback to that. Their, their way to go back to the drawing board is to get a guy who is basically mostly a singles and a little bit of a doubles guy. I don't know. It just doesn't make too much sense to me. The fact that they're they're not trying to go a little bit more on power um, when it's just something that they really need. And I, like I said, I don't really know what's going on in Miami. I don't think anybody's ever known what's going on in Miami for like their whole existence. So I don't know. I, Lord knows. I, I'll say this now. Luis Arias is absolutely going to be one of those people that goes like eight for ten in a series against the Mets in September. And knocks him out of first place in the NL East. Oh, surely, surely they're going to be a thorn in the Mets side. I think, but and Gene Segura is already a noted Mets killer, sticking in the NL East. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know about this team. And uh, I'll probably try to link this too. The uh, Cespedes family barbecue did a great video on the Marlins, and just and this was even before the Arias trade <laughs> on just how confusing they are. And then they make a confusing move like this, where once again, we know you kind of had to trade one of the guys uh, of, you know, Lopez, Luzardo, Cabrera, and all that. Uh, but was this really the move? Was this the only move they had? I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, just just confusing stuff all around in Miami. Uh, that just about does it for, like, the actual content on the show we have. Uh, Chris, do you have a guy that's worth remembering. Uh, I think we can go into some remembering guys now. Yeah, uh, I do. I actually brought up a, a another uh, middle infielder, um, played for several teams in his career, a one-time All-Star, but an All-Star in the name department every year, and that is a one Marco Scudero. Um, he actually put together a pretty decent career. He he amassed a 22 war over a 13-year career. And what's very funny is his all-star season came in his second-to-last season. He's always aged 37 season. Um, I'm looking at it now. He only played five games 
2014 his last season is basically his last season yeah got that all-star nod getting getting the all-star nod um i'd love to see his uh his split here for that um i'd have to do a little bit more digging to find it um but he he seemed to be like fine you know it was just like a he's just like a good player you know i i remember him being pretty just decent all around i i remember him being in the fantasy scene um and all that stuff so i don't know i i really just picked him because i love the name marco suero i feel like everyone mets legend too Mm. (laughs) two years uh two years in new york a grand total of 75 games with a 651 ops yeah um but yeah i i think that he's the epitome of kind of like the mid-2000s guy that never really blew you away but was going to stick around for a while because either he's a very good guy in the locker room or you know you just you need you kind of need guys like this uh you know decent fielder that's going to stick around he's gonna you know take a babies he's gonna he's not gonna get hurt too often um and then you know he's he's gonna be there so i think that that's a really good kind of genre of player another guy you know, I'll, I'll spoil it. I was thinking of him. Uh, that reminds me of this is like J.J. Hardy that I was doing kind of in my research um, for this specific Remember Some guy. So, yeah, I think that's actually a really great pick. Um, just looking at it now. I was just trying to see how many years he had and above uh, 100 OPS plus. It looks like one, two, three, four total. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's a really good pick, Marco Scudro. I, I love the the middle infielders that stuck around for way longer careers than you think they probably would have had in other situations. Yeah. Now, since we talked so much about the twins on this episode, I wanted to try to look towards the twins and I was looking for some options. Nothing was really like jumping off the page. There were some guys that I think are good to remember, but they might be a little too good for this series. Um, But the one guy I just started going off on another path, and I think that this pick right here is more in line with your Juan Pierre pick from a couple uh, episodes ago. Just a really fast guy who did not have a super great bat, but stuck around for way longer than I even thought he did. He uh, played an 11-year career. My pick is going to be center fielder for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, Houston Astros, Atlanta Braves, Cleveland then the bad name, I'm going to just call them the Guardians. And then the Braves, again, uh, Diamondbacks and Baltimore Orioles. I'm talking about Michael Bourne, two-time All-Star, uh, the Bourne legacy. Uh, some really impressive steal seasons here. 61 uh, bags in 2009, 52 in 2010, another 61 season in 2011 with both Houston and Atlanta. Was a two-time All-Star, one in 2010 for Houston and then one in 2012 for Atlanta. Uh, just, you know, never anything too special with the bat. Wasn't like ever like a 300 hitter, but just when he was able to get on the get on the bags, he was lethal on them. Uh, one of those guys that we mentioned, you know, earlier, like we said with Juan Pierre, he was going to get caught stealing a couple times, but it's just kind of that brand of player that you don't see too often, because if you had these kind of caught stealing splits, they probably wouldn't send you as much nowadays and you know it's understandable and we'll probably see stuff like this spike up who knows maybe we'll get a michael Bourne now with the new rule changes but 
uh, it kind of feels like you you wouldn't kind of take these rates like uh, 12 caught stealing two years in a row, 14 caught stealing another 13 year. Um, but yeah, that's my pick, Michael Bourne. Yeah, no, that that's another that's another great pick. Uh, it it's very funny for some weird reason. Um, when I thought of Michael Bourne, I thought of power instead of speed. Um, but I don't. I, I I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking that I thought of someone else. Maybe I'm thinking about Jason. Definitely. Uh, I'm I'm assuming Jason Bourne as a as a baseball player. Um, no, I I think you know Michael Bourne definitely kind of fits into this category, even though he's a two time All Star. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it, it's really cool to see those speed guys, and I think you know if we really look at it, those 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 are going to be the kind of profiles that we see. Um, we're going to either see the immense speed and nothing else in this remind, remember those guys, we're going to see the immense power and nothing else. Um, or we're going to see the immense kind of glove and something there, but not really much, you know, um, coming from the hitters here. So, uh, I think this is definitely, you know, a great one. I think that that's the big kind of like core of remember some guys is that like, I don't know. I I'm going to say this and you just pick like Marco Scudero who's the epitome of just like solid fine. But the thing about remembering, you know, the this whole thing is that they are guys that you're like, "Oh, if he just had one or two more tools, really could have been something special." I think is kind of the core of this and, you know, with Michael Bourne it's, you know, maybe what if he had like even 10 homer a year power or if he was kind of a consistent 300 hitter. He could have really been something, but, uh, you know, I think that's just kind of the thing about it. And I think I I originally said one or less time all-star for this, but I think that even that's almost too rigid for this because you look at it and like, you look at Michael Bourne and you don't think like, oh, two-time all-star, like really great prime and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm, you know, I, I think unless it's like somebody who is like a five or six time all-star or something like that, I think they qualify for this, but. I think that this is just kind of the sweet spot where he was in the right time for these all-star voters who really probably liked the stolen bases and the speed. And at that point, he was probably hitting like 310 or something in the season and just fell off in the second half. Yeah. Um, We're the ones that make the rules here, though. Yeah, exactly. I also have, (laughs) I already have my person for the next time we do remember these guys, uh, which may not be for another few weeks or so, but I'm going to have a, have this tab open until then. Do we want to? Do we want to give a hint and then I'll try to guess it on the next one before you do it? Uh, yeah, big power. Okay, I'll, I'll think on it. Um, I might do big power for mine too. I was thinking. Um, but yeah, that I think that just about does it for this episode. A little bit lighter. We typically go for an hour. This is probably going to end around forty-five minutes. Uh, Chris, do you have any parting thoughts? No, just uh, my my parting thoughts is um, hopefully the New York Metropolitans do not have a fantasy football league uh, going this year um, because uh, Tommy Pham could do some damage there. Um, I feel like that's a low-hanging fruit joke, uh, but I just took it there. Um, So thank you for that. Uh, Otherwise, um, you know, feel free to uh, hit me up on Twitter at Lopesy underscore 16. I remembered this time. Um, and like I said, you know, check out that Friends with Fantasy Benefits podcast. It was it was immensely fun. I, I can't, you know, say uh, any more than that how fun it was. Um, the only thing I didn't like was that they hated Brandon Nimmo. Um, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs>
They love they love to tear down a real American patriot. That's what I tell you. Uh, but yeah, once again, like I said earlier in the episode, I can't say enough thanks for that and that opportunity to really start to get ourselves out there. We really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I think that just about does it. Like I said, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed. We hope you'll stick around for the next time. Uh, I know I just said that we were doing weekly, but I then I remembered that like, oh, it's the off season. Nothing really happens in the off season, so we'll probably look to bi weekly. Um, but I guess we'll keep you updated on that. Maybe we'll just do it whenever we're feeling. Drop one at like Thursday on a four Thursday afternoon at four thirty. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, feeling very spontaneous with it. Yeah. But uh, anywho, like I said, I hope you guys enjoy, and we will uh, whenever it is. Next time, we will catch you then. Hope you enjoyed, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Adios.